Blog Talk Radio. Welcome everybody to KSDAD Radio's Friday the 13th Slasher Horror Extravaganza. And now, let's go to our host. Take it away, guys. Actually, it's Gory with an E. G O R Y E. G O R E Y. Yeah. Everybody gets it wrong. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And this is the second of our Friday the 13th movies. This week, this Friday the 13th, the theme is The Death of Jason. Because we have just done Friday the 14th, the final chapter, and now. Four movies later, we're going to hell with Jason. They loved doing final movies for Friday the 13th, didn't they, man? <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite ones. I, I don't care what anyone else says, so <laughs> I love this one. Yeah. And it, we've got the DVD, set it to the unrated version, on the Blu-ray or that, because... That's what we're watching because it's the longer cut. This is another one that was screwed with by the MPAA before we get started. Not as bad as Part 7, though. That one was brutal. Yeah, they pretty much cut that movie in half. Cut it in half, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you watch you watch any of the found footage that's left, you know, they cut out at least 20, 30 minutes of that film. Yeah. It was so bad that even Jason Stan going, damn. And a tear <laughs> fell down his eye because he was sad that he didn't do work as good. Exactly. Okay, we're at the New Line logo. So get your remotes and get ready to hit play. You ready? Ready. In five, four, three, two, one, play. Okay, we're on the New World thing. What happened is, after part eight, Paramount finally got its wish and they sold off, well, Jason so they could get rid of what they considered their embarrassment. And what did we get? We got this. Sean Cunningham returning back to the series. Yeah, he came back to um because he wanted to set it up for another film, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, we'll set it up for another film. Even if it's... you don't like the rest of the movie, this... And the Friday the 13th remake has fighting for the best opening scenes. Cause well, this, this opening one of scene. The best opening scene. Yeah. Hell, this could be just a little movie by itself. Well, the opening scene was kind of um, 
a fake out for the fans, according to the director. He wanted to give the impression that this was going to be a classic Friday the 13th, people in the woods, here's a beautiful woman in a cabin, and Jason's going to come out and do his terror. Yeah, I mean, there goes the dang light bulb. This this stunt woman, they weren't expecting her to do as much nudity as she did. They were filming it, and then she was like, I could just go fully nude. And they were like, okay. Well, I mean, uh, Sean Cunningham's... um, school of filmmaking that he told the directors, he said, every seven minutes you have to have a fresh pair of breasts, and every seven minutes you have to have a new kill. So that, they were under that impression that they had to constantly deliver nudity and constantly deliver gore. Even though, besides five, this is the only Friday the 13th movie with any real nudity in it. Yes. Yeah, but it's 93, oh, so, you know, times are caught boogie, up. But you didn't get to see no frontal shots because they were already gunning for him to begin with. They didn't want to give him no ammo. No, yeah, they, I mean, because Friday the 13th has always been hated by the MPAA, and any sexuality, Um, what was the phrase that they used? They, You can have pickle, but you couldn't have angry pickle, which meant for guys, and they didn't want a fruit basket, which meant for girls. So that yeah. that was the MPAA's rules for doing these films. Yeah, and there were different rules for bigger movies like RoboCop and Die Hard, which came out within a couple of years before this, were amazingly bloody and full of nudity compared to this. Yeah, yeah, no. It, the the bigger the budget and the bigger the studio the more that you can get away with. So, you know, they kind of just turn their heads away. But when it's a Friday the 13th film with a reputation or any horror film, for that matter, they go after them with a vengeance. And this is when Noon Line was a mid-level studio. I mean, they were making good money off of the Freddy, the Jasons, the Teenage. This was before they started becoming really legit and making cash off of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Exactly, yeah, which wasn't too long after this. No, 91. Uh, yeah. So, and look at that yeah, hand and it. that hair. That is so early 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie's very dated. You know, if you're a fan of the 90s, here's a movie for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always said this movie also... Um, got that feel from the television series that were going on at the time. You had the Freddy's Nightmares happening. You had all these television was trying to keep up with what was going on in theaters with their spooky TV shows. So this always kind of... The series was actually good. Yeah. And this came from, you know, that whole generation that were raised on late night television films, you know? Coming up uh, with series, coming up, you know. uh, Friday the 13th movies at your video store. Exactly. So everyone knew the legends. Everyone knew what was going on. 
chose Ooh, to direct that's it. That's one hell of a stunt right there. Yeah. Well, she um, jumped over that hood like that because Jason was coming after her, and she said he got so close with the um, machete, he almost hit her with it, and that's why she took off running. And she actually stopped the filmmaking and said, look, you're going to hit me. Calm down, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This was back during the era when Kane Hodder was going in magazines and talking about his bizarre prep for this, for the Jason Kill scene, you know what I mean? Yeah, he was, um, they, they called him a method actor. Like, he, ha- he, he had a whole mindset he would go into. He would sit in a chair and get himself, like, Bela Lugosi would sit there and almost hypnotize himself as Jason. <laughs> You always give these movies better performances than they deserved with the script qualities. Now, this is one hell of a twist right here. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Just damn. The amount of squibs used on this. Oh, there was more gunshots in this scene alone than in the, all the Friday the 13th put together. Like, <laughs> this yeah. movie's basically um, the horror film equivalent, slasher film equivalent of a John Woo film. Yeah, and he was smart enough, they were smart enough to think, well, Jason's a zombie, that means he won't have any blood. Yeah. And this and shot right them. here. <laughs> just. Plonk. Yeah. Love the slow mo with the head. <laughs> and the heart. Yeah. The infamous heart, which will lead to bigger, better things. <laughs> Creighton Duke, who doesn't get so, enough credit. Who doesn't get enough time? I mean, I just love it just sitting there. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, he should have his own film. Like, I would have been happy with a film with just Creighton Duke and Jason, the whole movie. Yeah. For some, well, Cunningham wanted to do it too, but after this film, underperformed at the box office, and that's me being generous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, it made its money back because it only cost like two or three million to make it, but it made in its opening weekend seven million. So I mean, it's not like they yeah. it made less than it did better than Jason Takes Manhattan. So and these were definitely big hits on the VHS market. Anything with Friday Thirteenth would rent like a mother father. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing was when when it was in theaters, it was cut. And then they made a big deal. Well, it's coming out unrated. And no one bought the cut version when it came out because you had an option, buy the cut VHS or buy the unrated. No one bought the um, cut. Everyone bought the unrated. That's and that's how it was released internationally. It's worth about 80 bucks nowadays. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the VHSs are actually collector's items now. Yeah. 
And that guy with the big beard is uh, Kane Hodder himself. Hodder, which is hilarious. He he actually requested he because there's barely any Jason time in this. At him as Jason, he's like, give me a, give me some acting in this. Let me be in the movie. And the autopsy scene. This is the worst mortician ever. <laughs> I mean, because of the fact that he's cracking jokes, he's making fun of Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and another thing is, is they uh, wanted to bring in, well, you'll see this, well, you said there's a lot of crazy ideas. They wanted Jason, these people right here, to be black ops. Yeah. Yep, they wanted them to be black ops. Uh, this whole morgue scene cracks me up because it's, like, so unprofessional. You know, you never see a mortician acting like this. <laughs> Yeah. Only in Hollywood. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, the original script actually was going to have an opening with Pamela Voorhees having sex with a young adolescent Jason Voorhees. That was um that was actually talked about by um who was it the um supervisor the effects supervisor, oh. and he he said the original script it was going to have that incestuous relationship which was going to be where the daughter came from no so he was basically going to be the father of his own sister it was going to be an incestuous relationship and that was uh, actually according to I have it written down Howard Berger from K&B said in the original script that is what was going to happen so I am glad they cut that out because that just yeah, it I don't think that would have flown. Audiences would have walked out. They, they it wouldn't have even made it to the um, you know, first week. Well, if you remember, that was one of the ideas they flew and, and tried to fly for Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That Freddy diddled Jason. Somebody had a big thing for. Jason having kinky sex, perverted sex. Yeah. Well, I mean, another idea for the um, script was Jason was going to get killed and then pass the torch to his long-lost brother that was never mentioned before. So (laughs) he was going to have a brother show up and continue slashing people in the same um, vein as Jason Voorhees. I don't know, it would have been like 10 more years or something. Uh, showed that view of the head because you could tell the head's hollow. Yes, <laughs> I know. Damn TV I mean, clarity. <laughs> but, I mean, you got to give it to K&B. They were on their game with this one. They yeah. they really pulled through, especially well, when the – right when, when K&B was starting to be K&B. Uh, yeah. Nick Otero had just come off of uh, Monkey Shines and Day of the Dead – and, and they were left, just starting Savini's uh, crew. Yes, and they were just getting ready to start Army of Darkness. Tom Savini himself has said the biggest mistake he ever made was not coming in with these guys when they asked him. Yeah, he should have. He could have been part of uh, that legendary group. But he was making good money then. Well, he was directing well, yeah, the, Night of the Living Dead, too. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he he did that. So, which deserves his own show. <laughs> so, oh, and another script idea that they were floating around because they didn't know what to do after New Line got um the Jason Voorhees, the name Jason Voorhees, which they couldn't do Friday the Thirteenth because that was still owned by Paramount. They only bought Jason Voorhees. And at the time, they wanted to go right in and do Freddy versus Jason. But what the problem was, Wes Craven wanted to do New Nightmare. So they had to do another another couple films before they could go in and do Freddy versus Jason. Well, Jason so, is a placeholder film because it was taking so god dang long to get Jason versus Freddy versus Jason off the ground, yeah. But new nightmare, pretty. <laughs> yeah, I love Why that. Why does he have the blood splatter after he bit the heart before he bit the heart? And then his face is clean again. But I love the noise he makes. <laughs> when he does bite into the heart. Yeah. Yeah, it was a gelatin heart filled with Kraft Services um, fruit cocktail that they dyed black. And I don't think that vomiting was fake. Well, the blood coming out, but <laughs> it did, I don't know if you catch it or not. It's hard to it's hard to really see because it's very subtle. But the throat actually pushes out because that's showing the demon going down into him. Yeah, this is and, when they put in some H.P. Lovecraft shit. Yeah, and now the light effects were actually done with. They actually put little light bulbs that blew and went on and off. And then they added a visual effect later of the light demons going into them. Yeah, you know what the demons were originally supposed to be? The same demons that were used in Freddy's Dead. Yes. (laughs) There's the writer. A tighter connection to Freddy's than... It ends up being. Yeah. There it is. That's the writer, the script writer for uh, this movie, being patted down by Kane Hodder. Oh. And Kane didn't expect that. No. Dean Laurie, that's the name of the... um, And we also got to mention that the director and the writer of this film, the director was only 23 years old, and the writer was 24 when they made this film. And they said they had no idea what they were doing, but they managed to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> Fat-ass, bloated, maggoty. Fuck this. <laughs> he has a pretty good death. The mortician. A lot of these extra gory deaths were at the last second once New Line realized that they were going to put out an unrated VHS. Yeah. Well, that's what their, their intent was. They were like, all right, we know we're not going to get this film into theaters, so we're going to have to plan on getting an unrated VHS out. So just make it over the top and as cartoony as you can. Well, part five. Well, Look how much uh, the unrated version of Elm Street Part 5, which is still not on DVD. Way to go, fucking no. new line. 
Yeah. She's okay. a number of big they old pussy. More, more rentals and more cash off of the unrated VHS of Elm Street 5 than the R-rated, so they decided, boom, we're going to do an unrated version of Jason Goes to Hell because if that made its money. Yeah. I love this. I love when um, Kane Hodder turns to himself as Jason, call him, he's nothing but a big old pussy. <laughs> yeah. And then gets killed by, Jason kills Jason, which is which is hilarious to me. <laughs> and here comes my hero, Creighton Duke. He's about to come up. Yeah. Oh, so what's I funny think about this whole out once and it was more than eighty three, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was way over eighty three. Now what's funny about this a little opening um with with the T V show, this was before that whole nineteen nineties uh talk show fever that came out where everyone had a talk show talking about the horrors of America. This was actually predates that. Well, if you remember, about this time we had hard copy, uh, uh, inside edition. Yeah, but it didn't. It was way before, like a the, they got really big. So no, where his compound right when they is? Really, were really big. Like when they took back when they took the national entire weekly world news and turned them into television series. Yeah, I just wanted a uh, little film fact here is that compound that they show in the background when they're walking with the fence, that's the set for the Wonder Years. Yeah. That that was actually the set for the television show, The Wonder Years. And my favorite line in all the in film history, what is your thoughts about Jason Voorhees? And, he, and that classic line, I think of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog to a donut. Yeah. <laughs> I put that right up there with, you know, any other film um, like Aliens. Hudson's uh, scene in Aliens, game over, man. I put that right up there with that. That should be, you know, quote for history. And if you watch Crystal Lake Memories, sadly Cunningham said they didn't realize he was going to do this good a job, but his main job, Crichton Duke's main job in the script was just to get all this fucking exposition out of the way. Yeah. But he had a full backstory that never made it into the movie. His backstory was that him, when he was young with his girlfriend, they were at Camp Crystal Lake, and Jason grabbed her and dragged her into the lake. So he spent his entire life hunting him down, which it's kind of, you don't understand why is he hunting Jason down for so long? Where where did he come from? Because he makes that one line towards the end. They was going to show a museum. It talks about Creighton Duke's museum. Yeah. You remember the opening of Bride of Chucky where it showed, like, uh, the different ones? It's going to have uh, uh, the Michael Myers mask, mm-hmm. Chucky's head, Freddy's glove. Yeah. You know, yeah, the Duke, shit that they probably couldn't afford the rights to. Yeah. But, I mean, Creighton Duke, he makes that one line towards the end. He's like, remember me? It's like, well, this is the first time you're together on the screen. How does he remember you? So yeah. they never gave a full backstory. 
but the director says that his backstory was cut out because he couldn't find a proper place to put it in the movie. So people just had to, like, forget that. <laughs> and in the novel, they explain it better. And I don't know why they didn't do it for the movie. She had bought special burger molds where all yeah. they had to do was press out the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's another one of my favorite characters in this film. Aaron Gray. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, you know, she's dating the sheriff of the town who happens to be 30 years older than her. <laughs> Seriously. They said that she was depressed her entire time on the set, wondering what happened to her career. <laughs> And if you look at her acting, you can pretty much tell. She's like, I fucking hate being here. I don't want to be here. Get me out of this fucking movie. Well, she um, she was brought on because the director and the writer admitted that they had the biggest crushes on her. And when they saw she was willing to do the film, they were like, you're starring. You're a star until you get killed. <laughs> Because oh, the and, wacky uh, plot. Did, did you see the sheriff's name that's on his sleeve? Cunningham County, yep. Yeah, <laughs> Sheriff Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> she ain't had a taste of the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> So the sheriff back there holding with his hand on the gun, that's the director's mm-hmm. brother. Talk about family casting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there he comes. We're He's really about to grab exposing up. how low, low to no budget this movie really was. <laughs> they didn't spend oh, any yeah, money. I mean, they didn't have to. I think um, the budget never went past $3 million, And that's after yeah. they even had to buy the rights from Paramount to name Jason. Honestly, uh, KMB did this movie just to have a credit, you know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they got they they almost did it on spec. Like they just wanted to get a name yeah. out there because they were just rising up. So and we're there he is, the I mean, star of Friday Thirteenth the series, John yep. DeLamay. <laughs> Which I mean, that's what I love about this one, like that connection to the TV show. Oh, Tales from the Dark Side was the other thing that was big at the time. Like, yeah. I mean, there was so much going on in television that this movie, I always connected to the television of that time, too. So I, that's why I have fond memories of this film. Which, this I mean, you know, people are like, oh, I hate it. Uh, series. What was that? Uh, John D. LeMay. This, is right, this was filmed right after he left the series so he wouldn't kill Roby. Yeah. So this scene right here was shot six months later where he's driving down the road and he picks up the the young people to go to Camp Crystal Lake because the studio said, we need a scene where Jason kills people at a campsite. So we have to have Camp Crystal Lake in this movie because the movie yeah, has no intention of going to Camp Crystal Lake, but yeah. they made them put this scene in to have young people in a tent going to Camp Crystal Lake. Filler. 
I think either the movie came up short or they just wanted to pack in more uh, gore for the unrated version. It was a cross between that and when Sean S. Cunningham saw the original cut, he cut it down to 50 minutes and told him to go back and reshoot a few scenes to add in more stuff because he had a lot more going on with the mystical, mystical side of the film. Too much talk and not enough action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that bit, well, well, I mean, Sean S. Cunningham's school of filmmaking. Every seven minutes, you got to have a kill. Every seven minutes, you got to show some breasts. So, yeah. and they, they, he said they weren't giving me enough of either. So he, they had to go in and cut and film these scenes so he, they can get their breast and blood quota. Yeah. And what's <laughs> funny is uh, they set up this girl like you expect her to be the final girl. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. She was trying to, she, you know, she was trying to lure him back to the camp. For the fun night, but then she's all innocent. Oh, I'll sleep alone. You guys go have sex and get killed. <laughs> and that's another reason why we hate him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't hate him because he was still in love with his ex. I know, but I still hate him. You know, it's like, you yeah. get into that. Come here. Get that. I don't hate him. I just thought he was stupid because, you know, he should have went back with her and, and party. But then he would have been dead, too, so... But then again, I don't mind Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he wouldn't diddle with that girl because he thought she was underage. <laughs> there you go. And there's a gratuitous Camp Crystal Lake sign. Have to have that in a Friday the 13th film. I and think the this nudity. Is the only, now, <laughs> only Bush ever in a Friday the 13th film. Yeah. Now, Adam Marcus, the director, said. So the guy, in every Friday the 13th film, guys always get the nude women. They always show nudity for the women. He said it's time to show nude men. He said These, this film is for the ladies. He wanted gratuitous male nudity for women. Oh, boy, One of them, yeah, I can see. For, me, for women in Friday the 13th. Hasn't he watched part four with what's-his-name getting out of the shower? Yeah. <laughs> Or get slammed against the shower door. You can see his, you can see his Twinkie. Yeah, <laughs> you can. But I mean, this one. Well, we haven't gotten to the scene yet, so I don't want to talk about it yet. But this one, he definitely wanted to give a little bit more other than female nudity. He's like, it's time to show men. <laughs> yeah. More than some men wanted to see ever. <laughs> So the yeah, scene well, we coming got, up. Uh, we got the only threesome in Friday the 13th history. <laughs> well, she's outside the tent looking in, you know, watching them have sex, so. And it goes to the old saying, you can't watch someone eat chicken without wanting to go get some yourself. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, this is, this doesn't look like a filler scene. Well, if the, you it, didn't it, know it, it was filler, you wouldn't think it is. It actually looks good. It looks yeah, better no, than I most mean, of the stuff he's shot. 
Well, I mean, because it continues with the coroner possessed by Jason walking through the woods trying to get to Aaron Gray because of the plot demands that he had to kill off his family so he could become immortal. By the way, if anyone's yeah. listening to this, um, spoilers, and I'm going to be spoiling the shit out of this film. So, <laughs> so this was Sean S. Cunningham's idea. He must have some weird fetish, because twice in the film they show the two girls at the camp going to take a pee in the woods. Oh, don't you forget, what does he have, what's, what does he have the girl do in Last House on the Left? Yep, piss herself. <laughs> so he definitely has a pee uh, fetish because Johnny L. Cunningham in his films always has some woman peeing. So yeah. <laughs> I just and when what's her name escapes, says I gotta go pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get so there goes one shake, down. Get a little shaky can when you don't have enough money to film a good uh, kill scene. So here's an interesting fun fact: the couple in the tent having sex. They were cast separately. They didn't know each other. That They didn't know that each one was going for the roles. Prior to being in this movie, they were a real couple that had broken up a year before they got these roles. So they were like, hey, the chemistry is really natural between these two because they were already in a relationship before they got the roles in this film. And and then he learned that they were just really good actors because they really hated each other. Yes. <laughs> so here goes the girl going into the woods to pee in the same exact spot as the other girl who just got killed pee. And Sean S. Cunningham did that on purpose because that's his fetish. <laughs> well, don't forget on Friday the 13th, uh, there's the infamous deleted scene of... Uh, Showing that Jason uh, sticks it up the final girl's booty. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's that. I don't know, but my ass hurt for a week. <laughs> there. All right, now this is where K and B really comes through. Oh wait, this this condom scene. Got to talk about the condom scene. So, the the actor has handed a condom and says, "Oh, I hate these things." So the girl takes the condom trucks it out of the uh, tent, which is followed through with possessed coroner stepping on the condom before he goes and kills them. The Wall Street Journal said in an article that Jason Goes to Hell was a return to morality in film. (laughs) And you know what the real story is? (laughs) He just didn't want to use a condom. (laughs) No, they had four. Ta- they had four or five takes where that goddamn fucking condom pack was invincible. Yeah. Oh yeah, they couldn't open the condom pack. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, goddamn it, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so they just threw the condom out because they couldn't open it. Yeah. They had a hard time editing the scene because they were actually fully nude. And they didn't have the the ding ding the dingling sock, and she didn't have a cup on. They were actually nude because they were previously a couple, so they just said, "Ass, ah, fuck it, go nude." And the editor had a problem because he kept saying, "I see bush, I see penis, I see bush, I I, I can't use half this footage." So they had to go back. They had to grab this couple again and go back and film a lot of it. 
That reminded me of my favorite story from Jaws. Well, they were filming the opening scene of the girl slamming naked. Yes. And they said all you could hear from the editing room was, Fuck! Shit! Another pussy <laughs> shot! Fuck! <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, <sighs> K&B's effects show through right here. They built a, a full body of this woman so they can cut it, literally cut it in half. Yeah. And you know what else <laughs> it is? Oof. What is it? The first CGI gore effect. No, that was not CGI. That was full-on KMB fake body. Yeah, but they used CGI in it, you know, and she was just twitching there. For real? All right, but, yeah, no, I, I because I know they used on a body that's Flowered open when he cut it in half. So yeah. that was K and B fully. Which later they took both um, castings of the bodies and made stereo speakers out of them for their homes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love being a special effects artist, I guess. <laughs> well, Speaking of Jaws that uh, you brought up before, um, I love the Jaws reference from uh, Creighton Duke, where he goes, "I'll give you the mask, the machete, the whole damn thing." <laughs> That's a direct yeah. reference to Jaws. <laughs> uh, yeah, they really do love Erin Gray because, good God, she takes a lot of time in this movie for a character whose job is to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the director said, oh, my God, we actually have a movie here. We have a real actress. <laughs> so they they extended and, her scenes as long as they could. And the good thing is is that uh uh the guy who played Creighton Duke, he got his role in the X Files because the people that ran the X Files loved him as Creighton Duke so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we need to talk about um we need to talk about uh Stephen Williams because this movie wouldn't be half, wouldn't be nearly as good without him. Because he steals yeah. the show. He steals the show, and he's a he, he's a damn good actor, and I think he's very underused. That's just my opinion. You know, I would love to see more of him. You well, know, it's another one of those like uh, Doomhead and in uh, Thirty Seven, the guy who plays Doomhead. Yeah. He was so good that Rob Zombie wrote a whole another fucking opening scene of the movie just to give this guy more screen time. Yeah. Or like Richard Pryor and Lady Sings the Blues. Except in this one, they didn't give him no more screen time once they seen how good he was. So this is how low budget this film is. There's a kill about to come up where a woman gets her head crushed in the door, but you only see it from behind because she's wearing a scarf on her head. Now, when he slams the door on her head, it just goes in and bounces off. That is literally a foam That's ball. That's some H.C. Lewis. No, it's just like, chink. That's some H.G. Lewis shit right there. Yeah. And here we go, <laughs> the infamous shaving scene. <laughs> so he wanted, the director wanted to just, he said, well, we're going to take a middle-aged man 
and an African American man, get him naked and have him shave this man on a table. And he said he did it just because he wanted to see the audience squirm. And I like, well, I've always had a reason for it, and it's always cracked me up. What's that? Jason don't want to have a hairy chest or face. <laughs> well, it's funny because you, in all the Jason films, he never showed any interest in any kind of hygiene. But all of a sudden, he has to shave a guy before he possesses him. <laughs> well, he never had any stubble either. True. <laughs> he was always smooth as a baby's ass. Yeah. Even shaving his head. Now, this cracks me up because if you if it is your first time seeing this, you have no idea what's going on. He's just going in as, for what you think is a kiss. So... <laughs> You have no clue that it's um, a body transferring, a demon transferring from one body to another. Yeah, if this was in, if this was in the show Oz, it would have a different ending. Oh yeah. <laughs> and here's supposedly the main character in the movie, and it's uh, thirty minutes in, and she's just now showing up for the very, very first time. Thirty minutes. Yeah, which actually, this original scene, this is all cut differently. Her character shows up even later in the film. That scene where Aaron Gray is on the phone was actually the sheriff proposing to her. But the new line says the, the, the main character doesn't show up until 40 minutes into the film. So they had to rewrite her scene to cut her in talking on the phone to Aaron Gray and writing it in a way to where it seems like instead of Aaron Gray being proposed to, that Aaron Gray was talking to her daughter. The magic of editing. <laughs> the mirror gags are great. Whenever you see Jason in the mirror, you just look at the guy in the mirror, you see Jason Voorhees. And we're about to have some brains. Boom. So those brains, that's actually fruit cocktail from the craft services because they couldn't get K&B that day. Still there, Steve? Steve? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This is the shortest of any Jason, of any of the bodies possessed. And, of course, this was called out righteously for basically stealing part of its premise from the Jack Shoulder film, The Hidden. Yes. Which is a hell of a movie. Come on, baby, give me some thong. (laughs) (laughs) With Adam Marcus... And his offense that he never saw the hidden hidden when he was making this and had no idea that he that this was the same thing, but uh, it's kind of questionable because it looks exactly the same. Yeah, except that the hidden's a lot more freaking fun than this. Not trashing yeah. his movie, it's just the hidden's that much damn more fun. <laughs> but I mean, one of the reasons I love this movie is because it is fun. 
my 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 philosophy for films is a b- bad movie is only bad when it bores you. It could be no, terrible. No, this isn't a bad movie. It's a weak movie, but it has oh, more Jason's... ideas. Yeah. It, like this, this whole thing of the mirror stuff that was brought in because preview audiences said, "Why does Jason disappear?" Yeah, they didn't. They didn't understand that he was body jumping. So they had to bring Jason in. But I love that little scene where he looks in the mirror and sees himself as Jason instead of the copy possessed. And it's like an existential uh, moment where he's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Like Jason never saw a mirror before. Yeah. And say well, goodbye to Aaron Gray. Like a big chunk of this fucking movie is gone between the diner scene and right here. Because they could go straight to the fucking ending from right here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When he goes through the window, um, the director said, wow, for a moment we thought we were making Die Hard. (laughs) Because they said that was the biggest stunt ever. So to bring Sean Cunningham into this, the one criteria Sean Cunningham said, which is why they did the body jumping thing, was he said, get that damn hockey mask off of Jason. Because that was never his, that was Steve Miner that came up with the hockey mask. That was during his time. Sean Cunningham said, I don't want the hockey mask. So they had to write a version to where they can get Jason without a hockey mask. So yeah. that's why we ended up with that. Because originally, another version of the script, they were going to do a direct sequel to Jason Takes Manhattan, where it was, wait for it, Jason Takes L.A. He was going to go to L.A. and fight gangbangers. It was going to have the Crips and the Bloods hunting Jason down. No. Yes. That was the original script idea. That was one that they were going to do a direct sequel to Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Takes L.A. That is one that of was... the stupidest. <laughs> that was um, Dean Lurie, the, the writer for this film. It, that was his first idea. And yeah. the, Adam Marcus was like, um, no. <laughs> now, Jason versus Machete, I'd be a fun one. No, that would be great. <laughs> machete against Machete. For 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden, the redneck border guys come up, and Machete just looks at Jason, then hands him, then hands him another machete, and then. <laughs> yeah. Got to get got to get Jason out of New Jersey and get him down to uh, Mexico, the Mexican border. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, that wouldn't have worked, though. Jason takes L.A., you know? <laughs> yeah, he's an East Coast guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here comes the whole plot exposition part. No, here comes the good scene with uh, 
Creighton Duke, yeah. Creighton Duke, yeah. Well, this movie has more rules than Lord of the Rings, like. <laughs> oh God, yeah. His character. Exposition City. <laughs> now that cop with the glasses, she was. That's the same character from Die Hard. That's the same actress and the same cop from the film Die Hard. The the woman cop with the glasses. She's even in the same uniform with the same glasses. That's the one that John McCain was talking to, saying, what do you think, I'm ordering a fucking pizza? That's her. She requires oh, a role uh, as that cop that, just to walk down that hallway. These guys are diehard fanboys. This does, <laughs> now that you're saying this, it makes sense, because this does play more like a fan film than a yes. legit. Well, that's what they Friday. said. They said, um... They weren't making a Friday the 13th film. They were making a horror geeks film. Mm. There's references to everything in this movie. And I would be like, no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's one of the appeals for me for this film because it is all over the place, you know? It's a fan yeah. film. It's a it's a big budget. It's a three million dollar fan film. That's like what this a million is. Friday the Thirteenth fan films out there, and they all pretty much suck. And I have my the favorite. Filmmakers. I know you love the franchise, but <laughs> here he is, Creighton Duke, with the Lord of the Rings explanation. You have to climb the mountain to get the magic key to slay the dragon. <laughs> yeah. You like that the Danny K film, the murder with a pestle in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's funny it's still the neck the evil dead knife that you have to get. Yeah. You know how I would have really done to beat it crazier and kept it? What was that? To get what you need to go in the Jason you would have to go to other movies. <laughs> That would have been interesting. It, he'd have to jump in the Evil Dead to steal the knife. <laughs> <laughs> you would need a lot bigger plot than what they had <laughs> to do something like that. Yeah. So there was a big fight between the sound editor and the director over this whole finger-breaking scene. Because the yeah. sound editor didn't want the sound high. He wanted it low-key. And he actually said to the director, because he was missing three fingers from an accident, he said, I think I know what a fucking breaking off finger sounds like. And the director's like, well, get your fucking stubs out of my face and bring up the sound. Are you ready? I use this line to people at work. Okay. <laughs> that, that question has a very high price. Ooh. Now, if you were sitting in the audience and that finger snapping scene happened, all you heard was "ow," <laughs> which I did see this in theaters. I didn't. This was the first. Well, one the first one of the new ones since I seen the theater. I didn't get to see any of them in theaters apart six. 
I nearly got killed watching part five, but we've gone over that story before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I seen six, seven, and seven in theaters. I didn't see eight because it was eight. <laughs> see, I saw all of them. I, I didn't see the first one in theaters. I was too young. But my sisters took me to see part two. And from there on, I saw every Friday the 13th in theaters. Well, most people don't understand why do we like Fred Jason so much. It's because, like I said, they are a safe hamburger movie. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, Friday the 13th fan. It's not like they're walking in thinking they're going to see a Julie Adams film, you know, <laughs> or uh, or Gone with the Wind. They're going in to see the hacked-up teenagers and body count. Except for this one, question. which has... <laughs> <laughs> very expensive question, boy. This one, which has the more exposition than. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, the Lord of the Rings. We're going to the. <laughs> we have to go to Mordor, get the key, slay a dragon. Then a Voorhees has to kill Jason. <laughs> and then stop by the mini store and give me a six pack. Yeah. It's a slim jam. Yeah, this movie has more rules than any other film put together. But they had to build... Because and the rules, none of the, and the rules ended up fucking up the ending. Yeah. But we'll get to that later. Well, I mean, they, they had to work with... They wanted to um, build up a mythos within the film. Because all the previous films, Jason dies, comes back. Jason dies, comes back. They never explained it. They tried to, in their best way, a 23-year-old tried to explain how Jason kept coming back. Yeah, but the problem is, is they over-explained it. <laughs> yeah, but it gives us more uh, Creighton Duke screen time, so I'm happy with it. I yeah. don't care. I buy it. I said, If it was any other, if it was a lesser actor, I would have been like, what the hell is going on here? But because it's Creighton Duke, you're like, okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> you know sure, okay, one of the go- other characters other actors that they wanted to get Creighton Duke, but thank God they didn't. Yeah. I mean, this has more rules than uh, Marvel's Endgame, okay? <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that if I ever make a movie. Just make a whole bunch of stupid rules and be like, what the, God damn, this movie got more rules, this got more rules than damn Jason Goes to Hell. There you go. <laughs> Again, Stephen Williams makes this film. So the friendship between this cop and uh, this character is is funny because he goes running into the jail cell with his gun, which if you know anything about prisons or jail, you never bring a gun into a jail cell. No, it wasn't until about... Oh, oh, the started banning uh, cops on the walk from carrying pistols. I know that's about 20 years ago, but still, that's pretty damn so It's pretty not that damn long ago. <laughs> okay, back at the diner, another one of my favorite lines. When she puts the baby and on the counter. What the fuck? Why? Why the fuck not? What? 
the fuck is that? <laughs> when she puts the baby on the counter. You can I'm tell the men that made this movie were not parents yet. <laughs> her and her son ain't shit next to Ida. I mean, yeah. Ethel. She ain't no motherfucking Ethel. <laughs> I wish they had hired that girl that played Ethel to play her. Yeah, but I thought she it's the, uh, the actress's name is Rusty. I thought she did a fine job in this role cuz she originally wasn't supposed to be in the movie at all. She was brought in just to read lines and when she started reading the lines for this character to play off of the other um actor, they were like, "You might as well just stay with that line cuz we like you better than the other actor we were going to hire." So I love how this diner all of a sudden becomes an armory. There's more guns in this diner <laughs> than there is at the cop shop. Is it me or she just jacked out most of the ammo? <laughs> she just jacked out. Yeah, she did. Okay, yeah, so this see, is apparently look, how you heal. The barrel sticking out. That means there's no fucking bullets in the gun. Yeah. <laughs> so here you go. A Del Monte box uh, substitutes as a cradle. Sure, let's treat the baby yeah. like a puppy. Yeah, it's fine. We put the some bedding in there. Just put a baby she's in a box. On a news program with her boyfriend dressed in finery. Next, she's putting her goddamn baby in a Del Monte box in the back of a diner. And apparently just putting tape around broken fingers heals you. you no longer does his fingers hurt. That's some Rambo stuff for you. <laughs> well, to fight a, a Voorhees, you need to, you, your fingers magically heal when you fight a Voorhees. Yeah, but he's not a Voorhees. That's but when you, if you fight a Voorhees, his magic rubs off on you. <laughs> <laughs> Got to add some some new rules to this. Yeah, that's and that's a big reason why they screwed up the ending. The first time they had it, they're like, "Well, he's a Voorhees; he's married oh. to her," and then Creighton oh, realized Creighton said direct blood relation. <laughs> Fuck, shit, fuck. We got to have this little mousy girl do the big action thing. After yes. John did this beautiful fucking kick, which is in the deleted scenes, and I've seen him. He does a beautiful fucking kick at the end of this. Yeah. At, at the deleted scene. But they couldn't use it. I just wanted to bring up, when he pulls up to the Voorhees house, because apparently Pamela Voorhees had a huge mansion in the middle of the woods. So when he pulls up to the Voorhees home, there is um, a child's um, toy set. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you call those? Climbing sets. Those, what do they call those? Those uh, bars outside of playgrounds. There's one yeah. of those outside. That's a direct callback. Yeah, Jungle Gym. There's a it's an iron jungle gym with a bird on top of it. That is a direct call to uh, Hitchcock's uh, The Birds, and that's the actual same exact jungle gym that he used in his film. They actually took it off of the lot and brought it into this movie. <laughs> so yeah, when the, the saying that the uh, makers of this film were horror geek fans, yeah, they were horror geek fans. They brought yeah. in everything they could from every other film. Now here comes your favorite, your call, your favorite uh, callback to a film. I'll let you talk about this one. And there it is over there. 
the <laughs> Necronomicon and the knife from Evil Dead. Which the director and the writer visited the set of the Army of Darkness and asked Sam Raimi, can we borrow this? And Sam Raimi just chucks the book at him and said, sure, take it. And Which you know goes what? To show you Sam. were so grateful to him, don't you? No. New Line was the first studio to give wide distribution to Evil Dead. Ah, so it was basically paying them a favor being with New Line. Okay. That's yeah. a little fact I didn't know. Because if you get the HBO, uh, the original VHS of Evil Dead, it has that presented by New Line Cinema. Hell, if you look at the 70s, a lot of classics, New Line distributed a lot of them. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead. Yeah, I remember um, they used to have a poster at um, the video store I used to go to. It was New Line Cinema, and it had all of the films, VHS boxes, on the poster. Now, this guy is the sleaziest character in film history. New Line (laughs) Cinema was a VHS, was just a distribution company, period. They made their money off midnight movies and the John Waters films. Sleaziest TV uh, anchorman ever. Steals a corpse of his girlfriend's mother so he can get a new story. <laughs> that has to be one of the most beautiful scumbag lines ever. I stole her mother's body and hid it in the house and went home and fucked her daughter. <laughs> and that's why he deserved to die. Here comes Jason. And this is Jason's dumbass moment. Why, may you ask? Why? <laughs> the body he needs is in the fucking house. He just heard where it fucking is. He could have fucking went to the body right now and dealt with his yeah. problem. But instead... Yeah, but he... I can actually explain that, though. He doesn't. When he went from one body to the other, whatever memory was there is gone. It's still just Jason. Oh, here's another great K&B effect, the melting body. And I remember K&B had to fight for this. Yeah, because they wanted to cut the scene out completely. Yeah, they were like, we don't have time. Yep. And, and then when the censors got to it. The deleted scenes, but not in the movie. That the bodies only last. Yay number of hours before they start disintegrating because of the power of uh, Jason. But that's when the rules started getting a lot too damn complicated. (laughs) And for them to last, they had to go to the mountain. It got more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of what um, Sean Cunningham had to cut out, and then they had to go back and reshoot other scenes to make up for the lost um, stuff that Sean was like, all right, this is too much. We 
you know, it's going to be a Lord of the Rings epic here with all these rules. <laughs> We're going to have yeah. to tra- travel to Mordor to kill uh, Jason. Yeah. So this actress refused to do a nude scene. So they literally had, because it, because they, the director was literally like, well, we haven't had breasts in a long time, so we have to have uh, breasts, and we we'll, might as well put it while the girl's crying over her dead mother. So the actress was like, I am not going to cry over my dead mother and be naked. So they, she put Dixie cups over her breasts so they couldn't lower the camera down and catch a glimpse. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, they, they, he was talking about, well, we could always just sneak it in later. And then she, she was like, no, you're not, and put Dixie cups on her chest. Yeah. And she had a no BD uh, clause in her contract, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Isn't Mayor Jason a big fan of turning off the power yeah, I, I noticed that. He's, he's always turning off powers, and he's a big head crusher. There's two of them that I know of in this movie, and in other Jason films, he's constantly crushing people's heads. So there's a shower scene in uh, part four, um, and uh, I'm drawing a blank because I'm focused on this film right now, but, yeah, he's a big fan of crushing heads and turning off power. You know, once I like to see the psycho killer do that and just trip and stumble through the fucking house because he cannot fucking see where he's going. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention, um, the boyfriend sheriff was uh, an actor who was in the original Five Easy Pieces. Just wanted to bring that up. They brought in as many outs, uh, any many um, actors from different films that they were fans of. So, in short, they did a worse version of what people would accuse Tarantino of. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the sleazy boyfriend, as Jason. You do kind of see um, the effects that the body wearing down, like you mentioned, that he looks, started off looking fresh. But as he goes on chasing them, his, you can see his skin starting to boil up. You can see he's starting to deteriorate. Yeah. Oh, and obviously the, um, the director was also a fan of the Broadway show Annie because the diner actress, Allison Smith, was the, one of the original Annies from the Broadway play. Yeah, right there you've seen on his forehead the... Uh... Yep. DK and damage. Here and Kane Hodder said one of the thrill sights of his life was having to teach five people. I think it is about five. To act like him. Yeah. Because he had to get his walking mannerisms down. Yeah. The big problem they had with that uh, body that he was running over, it kept sticking to the wheels, and they kept dragging it across the lot. (laughs) Oh, they called this the Superman sequence, where he's without his glasses. Now he's a hero, because he lost his glasses. I'm fucked without my glasses. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm a, I wear glasses as well, and without glasses, I, I would be like, all right, kill me, Jason. I'm done. I can't yeah, see where I'm going. Yeah, like, fuck you. Come kill me. I ain't going nowhere. I ain't got, I just lost my motherfucking glasses. I can't see for shit. He loses his glasses and turns into the hero of the film. Yeah. You better run. Fuck you. I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This isn't just in this movie. Someone tells someone some unbelievable bullshit and expects (laughs) them just to to believe it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Aliens come down from outer space and shit on the top of your car and they (laughs) do it with acid and then kill 20 people. Okay. Okay. So the sheriff in the background there, if you're you're seeing it, that's the director. 23-year-old director, which he says Sean Cunningham yeah, laughed at him. He looks like a deer in the fucking headlights. Yeah, he's literally standing there like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> he says Sean, has, Sean Cunningham laughed at him when he did that scene. <laughs> he said, we're going to leave it in because you look so ridiculous. Yeah, it's still not as funny as Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert in the original Evil Dead. Oh, the hillbillies on the side of the road waving at the car. Yeah, oh, go to hell. I wasn't honking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Look, no, now he becomes Superman. Just, you know. He's knocking the cop around, beating him up. (laughs) You see, this is why he gets to the point where you buy him as at least someone who's going to be able to Hold their the face own, up, you know. But I love the face this. Up against it's hilarious. That's what would happen in real life if you headbutted someone in the fucking face. Yes. So, <laughs> um, this, this scene right here, the director admitted stole it right from uh, the film Hard Boiled. Because he said he just got done seeing the film Hard Boiled and said, I got to throw that in my movie. With the cops, with the cop and the um, actor pointing their guns at each other. God, that movie kicked our ass back in the early nineties. Oh, that was that was like every filmmaker's dream film to do was hard boil. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I can remember seeing on Cinemax, and I started one part of the living room. By the time the hard boil was over, I was like, whoop, whoop, a mile away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Some great kills here by Jason at the cop shop. And this is a great shot. The most professional shot. Oh, the split diameter, yeah. (laughs) Oof, busted nose. Which, now, that that seems great where he pops the cop in the nose. You think he's dead. You think he drove his nose bone right into his brain. Here comes the rubber handcuffs. Where he jumps over the rubber handcuffs. If you remember, uh, Robert Rodriguez stole that shot in Planet Terror. Yes. You could definitely tell this film was inspired by Hard Boiled. There's more guns in this film than in fucking Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, that was our problem in the early 90s. We've seen Hardboiled, and we got pissed off that action, other action films weren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> He's bleeding black blood. There's nothing weird about that. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and the two people they killed were radio hosts. That premiered the film. They actually premiered yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Creighton Duke punches out the director. Why the hell they let him keep his hat in prison? Yeah. <laughs> this is one lenient prison. <laughs> All right, here comes the hard boiled. This is directly a hard boiled scene. It's Everybody too bad in the scene. Because every DVD and Blu ray that Dragon Dynasty put out is utter shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking either. It's. Yeah, that's why I don't own it yet either. <laughs> One gun. That's Two what guns. Really One gun. <laughs> Two guns. <laughs> This coffee shop has more guns than the police station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the redneck uh, waiter or cook has to go outside and play with the gun. It would be nice if he did shoot his dick off. Yeah. Don't shoot your dick, your ding ding off. <laughs> Watch your language. Fuck you. Yeah. There goes your Sam Raimi shot. Shooting the goddamn power box. That was a Sam Raimi shot, following the bullet right to the box. Yeah. More K and B awesomeness. Ow. That That always cracks me up. Directly for the unrated version. Yeah. Now here's the big John Woo scene. Something very, very over the top. You can tell it's for the unrated version. Yeah. Now here's the John Woo slow mo shootout scene. Here she's pulling out a shotgun. The other one's pulling out a forty (laughs) four. Where's the doves? Damn it! It needs doves. Everybody's packing in this town. I'm waiting for the baby to pull a gun out of its diaper. Yeah, well, the baby pissed uh, pissed to put a fire out in hard boiled. Yeah, that's true. If <laughs> <laughs> you listen carefully, you hear um, Harry Maffredini's, uh Friday Thirteenth score is slightly playing in the, ba- uh, in the background. And Which he, earlier thousand guns. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting oh, for shit. Johnny and Fat just to show up out of nowhere with a matchstick in his mouth. <laughs> One of my favorite kills right here. When he elbows her in the jaw and drives her jaw right through her skull. Cocksucker mother <laughs> Cocksucker motherfucker. That was Bam. a riff off of T two. Yeah.
There's Annie. If Annie's about Damn, to die. Damn, I better kill this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blows, blows half his face off. <laughs> and in true Jason Voorhees style, impales her on the same implement that she just stabbed him with. Go to hell. At the end of the movie, woman, at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, there you go, head crush. Gusher. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't me no, just like looking at that guy's face? He would have made a good killer in a movie anyway. He just yeah. looks creepy as crap. Oh, yeah. Now, I love that the body's just like, I can't do this anymore. Just collapses. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason's, Jason's body just dies right there. Yeah. This so here's when the. Uh, well, is a party movie, damn it. This is when the uh, actress turns into Sarah Connor, puts a hair in yeah. a bun, and runs out. <laughs> that was always the big thing in the movies. We have come here to save you. Yeah. I like you. Where's that? We're fucking this movie a fucking lot. <laughs> oh. Here's that note on the floor, conveniently there for me to find. There's the machete. They got a machete, too. They must have some tough-ass steaks. <laughs> we need this to tenderize the meat. God damn, how tough <laughs> is it? They have shotguns, handguns, machete. at me and said, what? <laughs> like I said, that's uh, that's uh, Joe's Diner and Armory. <laughs> yeah, that damn steak was so tough. The first time I hit it, looked at me and said, "Fuck you." <laughs> so right here is where Creighton Duke was supposed to um do his backstory, which was um delightfully entitled um if I can find because I had to write that down because it's a long long story. The sit. The Sally May Rottencrotch backstory is what they called it. He was dating a girl <laughs> named Mar- Sally May, who he called a Rottencrotch, but he was dating her. And they go to Crystal Lake to be alone, have sex, you know, in the true Friday the 13th manner. And they go out in a canoe, and Jason jumps out of the water, grabs her, and pulls her down before they have sex. And since then, he's been hunting Jason down. Okay, Sally Jane Rottencrotch comes from Full Metal Jacket. Yes. <laughs> and I just realized, guess where that hat comes from? Isn't that, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, damn it. The surf- Surfers. <laughs> yeah, Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now. Yes, yeah, that's if it. If I say it, place the fucking surf, you go and fucking surf. <laughs> so every aspect of this movie is written from a fan film perspective. Oh no, that's not one of the daggers from uh, Evil Dead. No, that's uh, it's it? Omen. Yeah, it's the Omen dagger. Yep, that's a callback yeah, to the one Omen. One of the eight daggers of Medeo or Medeo. <laughs> So, I mean, this whole movie is peppered with callbacks to other films that have nothing to do with Friday the 13th. Yeah. 
So they basically have your idea. We're just going to go. It's fun. That's that's what I love about this movie. The people that hate on it don't get what they were going for. They were making a fan film for all horror films. And they were making a Friday the 13th filler film till they could do Jason versus Freddy. Yeah. Well, now we're getting into that. Jason versus Freddy. This is where they were leading to. But then they couldn't get a script. There have been at least 20 or so scripts. Yeah. I think one of my favorites, we're saying this because this is a downtime before the action starts again, was the one where we're supposedly having Freddy versus Jason in the kill contest to see who becomes... Hell's Assassin. Yeah, Hell's Assassin. And the original yeah. ending of John of the and they couldn't get the rights again. Uh it was supposedly them both getting killed at the end of Freddy and Jason and ending up in hell. <laughs> and they were supposed to be in an arena fighting. Do you remember? Can you guess who was supposed to be the referee hosting it? No, I, I I don't remember the script. Pinhead. There you go. <laughs> so was that script written by um Dean Laurie? Because it sounds well, a lot like Ronnie another fan. Oh, that was his script. All right. So now here's yeah. where they break a rule. So Jason's possessed one of these cops. Both cops are talking. How is Jason talking? That was the one thing that they said they hoped fans didn't call out, which, of course, fans called out like crazy. It's like, wait a minute, when when did Jason start talking? Oh, we we, we don't know shit about fucking women, but we know our little details like this like a motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so this demon that's about to crawl out of his cut off head his neck was supposed to be was supposed to grow into a human sized creature they originally filmed it with a man in a rubber suit that had no legs so they put a tail on him it was supposed to be a wiggly two armed creature running around which they still had but it ended yeah, up being a puppet this is where the whole ending has changed and then they realized something very, very important. Hey, we said blood relative, right? Yeah. Yes. Did we say a live one? Yes. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. <laughs> but um, and Erin Gray actually came out in an interview and said she got really upset when she saw us in theaters. Because they, oh, there's the uh, Antarctica Expedition Julia Carpenter Creepshow uh, crate. Mm-hmm. A callback to Creepshow. What really upset her was uh, the way the demon got into her body. Yes, yeah, it crawls right up her hoochie. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> she said it was too tasteless for even her to um, accept. Well, she didn't know they were going to film that scene. No, because I, I forgot originally how it was going to go, but 
Yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen. It was going to be the demon thing, and, uh... And Hockey Mask Jason comes back. So that's how the director was going to do the film. He was going to start with Hockey Mask Jason, do his complete travels of Jason from body to body, and then end it with Jason. He wanted to pay off for the fans to say, here's your Hockey Mask Jason. I love the fact that they have him have the mask on so wrong it's gone. Oh, there's the line that makes no fucking sense. Yep, where he goes, remember me. No, how can he remember you? You didn't see each other at all in this film until now. So that's and I because love they... the fact that Jason has worn the mask so long that it's grown into his face. Yeah, the skin started growing over the edges of the mask. Yeah. And here it pisses me off. You got such a great character, and what do you do with him now that he don't need him for ex- exposition? You snap his back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the end of Creighton Duke. It's right there. Okay, we can turn the movie off now. <laughs> so, um, Greg Nicotero came out in an interview and said they based the uh, head shape of Jason for this film on Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man. They used Joseph yeah. Merrick, the Elephant Man, as reference for how they were going to sculpt this new Jason head. Which you're the one that told me this is the first film where Jason never takes his mask off. Yeah. So, because all the previous other... Jason's face in this whole movie. Jason, in all the previous films, you see his rotten face. This is the first one where you don't see his rotten face. And they made one up too because there is, there are photos of the de- de- decomposed face. You can look them up online. Yeah. They have photos, but they just he was like, "Nah, we're going to leave the hockey mask on because he's on screen for very little time. So let's leave the hockey mask on him." Well, in the original ending, this part here was supposed to be Creighton, but yes. they realized, as we said earlier, that they said only a blood relative can kill him. And that they were, well, they cut out the way they were going to try to get past it, which was they were never divorced, so they're still married. Yeah. Okay, there's the jungle gym uh, payoff (laughs) where he flips it over on them. Yeah. And the line directly was, through a Voorhees born, through a Voorhees reborn, and only by the hands of a Voorhees well, he died. <laughs> so they had to cut Creighton out and put him in and put her in to kill him. They... And in the original, and if you notice, even after he stabbed, in the original script, after they stab him in the chest, it, the ending still goes on for another five freaking minutes because they didn't stab the dagger in deep enough. And that's when yeah. Kevin LeMay was supposed to do the karate drop kick. And, uh... But they had to cut that out. Well, here he goes. He's about to gr- That's where the kick was supposed to come from. But he doesn't kick the knife. He kicks the face. They had to change that because only through a Voorhees can he die. They they realized they made a mistake. And here she goes. 
Then she runs up and does the karate kick. But he was originally supposed to do it. Now, this sequence here, they change greatly. He's supposed to be, this was supposed to be a full-on stop-motion Ray Harryhausen sequence that K&B did. But they said due to technical problems, they couldn't get it to look right because they looked too much like puppets. Because it was supposed to be a full monster coming out of the ground, grabbing Jason and grabbing the actor as well and, pull, and start pulling them down. So they had to use hand puppets and, you know, practical effects. They couldn't go with the stop-motion effects. And what it was supposed to be is all of the people that Jason's killed. Coming up and grabbing them. Sort of like the Evil Dead 2, where it was all the people that got, souls got taken, were in the giant demon head. Yeah. Another callback to the Evil Dead series. And there he goes. This is all. This is the. Uh, that's all, folks. Ending. Well, no. In a little bit comes the moment where yes. everybody in the whole theater popped. Okay, so that it little light made sequence. This movie pay off big time. Yes. If they yeah, this would've... was supposed. Go ahead. The, 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 that um light sequence that just happened. If you look close enough, that was the shape of his hockey mask. Disappearing and disintegrating. So here we have the victors walking into the sunrise with the baby. Because at this point, the baby's lying on the floor in the house. Like, during this whole battle sequence, where's the baby? It's got to be the worst parents ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get the payoff scene. And here it is, just what you were talking about. This is the only reason this movie was made. This mask is now famous. You could get this mask made by many artists online. You can, like, people actually hunt this mask down, copies of this mask. That dog, this was done in one take. They put a hot dog under the mask so the dog would start scratching at it to lift it out of the dirt. Then the owner of the dog called it off screen, and it came running to the dog so they could do this sequence right here. And that's where a certain hand jumps up. Boom. Yep. Boom. So that Freddy Krueger... Do you know who played that arm coming out, grabbing the hockey mask? Wes Craven, I that was, think. Nope, that was Kane Hodder playing playing uh, Freddy Krueger. Kane Hodder. I think he's Kane the Hodder, only actor to play all three. Yes. He was a stunt leather face. Yep. And he was Jason Voorhees, and he played Freddy Krueger in this. So, and there you go. That's the wrap-up of the film. There's the credits. And that was, um, yeah, this whole film was made for fans of horror films in general because it's a, if, you're, if you know your films, you'll see all the little references peppered throughout this whole movie, which is why I love it so much. And the uh, payoff was to say, Freddy's coming. <laughs> if they would have been able to do what they originally done... This would have been not been for hated as much as it is. 
and that yeah. is they planned on having Freddy versus Jason out within by the next Friday the 13th or you know yeah. now this film but came out August 13th get the script yep. right Wes Craven and, and film, John Cunningham kept fighting over the script who's going to yep. win there's this is another town Freddy versus Jason is another town horse script. Everybody yeah. had a turn. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone wrote a script for it. So <laughs> then this film came out August thirteenth, nineteen ninety three. Freddy versus Jason didn't come out until two thousand three. So that gives you a timeline of how long it took them to settle everything to do Freddy versus Jason. Uh, and, uh, 95, or, no, 94, was when New Nightmare came out, right? Yep, New Nightmare, because that was one of the reasons why they couldn't get Freddy versus Jason off the ground immediately was because Wes Craven was like, well, I'm doing a New Nightmare, so I'm taking my character back well, out of retirement. Well, he up. Yeah, he wanted to finish it and give it a proper ending. Which, you know, <laughs> which, I mean, I love A New Nightmare, but it, it's, it's a character you don't want to see go away. So. Well, he didn't go away. I mean, if you look at the thing, he's there until the next story comes up. Yeah. That gives him an ending, that gives him an ending. Damn, 94 was one hell of a year. Lord of Shadows, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, uh. <laughs> New Nightmare. Well, yeah. Well, that's all I always loved about 90s films. That was the um, decade where independent filmmakers and low-budget films had their time in the in the spotlight. Yeah. Any Anybody that can convince a studio to give them a million or two came out with a movie with their own vision. Now everything's run through committees. You, It's hard today to get a film done with your vision. Back then, anyone yeah. with, a, well, with an idea... Harder. And even then, you're running the risk that not enough motherfucking people are going to support it. Yeah. But, I mean, like I said, this film was made for $3 million and it made $7 million in its opening weekend. So that's not bad, you know? Oh, it did great. It did good, but once it hit VHS, Jesus. You couldn't find <laughs> yeah, it, took- it in during the first month. Yeah, it was sold out everywhere. No, it, it became Especially this was the another film. Cut. Yeah, this was a film that had to find its audience. It wasn't in the initial theatrical release. Well, if you look at it and the unrated cut, that wasn't intended to make the money off of the initial theatrical release. They could give a shit. It was yeah. all about all they cared about was VHS sales. Yep. And America was the only one that put out on VHS the uh, cut version. Internationally, they wouldn't even look at the un- the uh, cut version. They were like, uncut only, uncut only. And it sold out overseas as well, which is what, how they made their money back. And another thing fans was pissed is that was a full-ass mask on the cover that we didn't get to see in the movie. Oh, the silver mask, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember um, that year in Halloween shops, that's all you saw were the silver masks, which made me mad because I wanted a, a hockey mask, a Jason mask. And I was like, I don't want a damn silver mask. <laughs> but, yeah, 
But yeah, no, that 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 was it. It, it was it, this movie did a lot better than they give it credit for. The the biggest flop of the series, to be honest, was uh, Jason X. Yeah, which I mean, I differ with you on that one because I do love that one. For oh, I the like reason, it too. I love it. It's fun, one, Crash. <laughs> worst that stuff movie, I had to pick is probably eight. <laughs> well, I love Jason X for the simple reason. It's to me, it's a 1950s monster in space film. That's what that movie is to me. It's a monster on a spaceship film. If that movie was made in the 1950s, it would have been a big rubbery suit monster chasing down people on a spaceship. That would have been like, you know, yeah. one of those 50s films. That's what I love about it. Well, by the time Jason X came out, people were salty that it wasn't Freddy versus Jason. And yeah. some jerk had already uh, leaked it online. Line. This is going from Crystal Lake Memories. And it had already about five, the 10 million hits on its first weekend alone. Illegally downloaded. Yeah, Jason X. Well, they had trouble getting a release. They made the movie, and no one wanted to release it. Yeah. So that became like like the hottest movie. We don't release it because Freddy vs. Jason's coming up. It'll fit. That was New Line was got after New Nightmare. They got really short-sighted. All they wanted was Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, so they wanted that film to go away, but the fans, like you said, bootlegged the hell out of it. So, yeah. and I remember you can that's find how it I on saw any street corner in New York City. Yeah, and I remember. Because I was pissed off that didn't come out in theaters right away, I had to get a bootleg of it. So and I watched it, and I remember going, "Oh, it's a monster in space film." Because you heard very little about it. They, there was like no press of that film. And I think the big surprise to me about Jason X was Cronenberg's uh, um, little scene. So and Cronenberg yeah. said, "I will be in this movie if Jason kills me." That was his stipulation. <laughs> I want to be in this if Jason kills me. <laughs> yeah. But no, I love that movie. I know it's it's the hate of the series. My least favorite is Jason Takes Manhattan, not because it's a terrible film, only because it didn't pay off what the film was supposed to be. It because didn't give me Jason in New York. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to tell me Jason's running around New York killing people, I want to see Jason in New York killing people. I don't want to see Jason on a boat for 40 minutes. Yeah, it's like I said on before the show in there. Original script had this scene where Jason had cornered a guy in a Grind Street, 42nd Street theater, and he started stabbing the living shit out of him. And no one in the <laughs> See, theater gave a shit. They didn't even blink or notice it. Yeah, and that's what that movie should have been. But we got Jason yeah. out on a boat <laughs> during a fucking graduation dance. <laughs> Well, they had two scripts, Jason on a Boat and the one Jason in Manhattan. So they thought, well, let's just throw the scripts together. It'll work yeah. out. And plus and for bu- the budgetary New York reasons. Tourism Board didn't even want them to mention New York. Exactly. No, they didn't even want they, – they, um, they banned the poster. They didn't want it, New York yeah. to have anything to do with J- a Jason film. So no, I, I remember that. Do run you nowadays? Ooh. Oh yeah, that's like one of the hottest uh, 
commodities, an original Jason Tatum Manhattan poster. Yeah, I like I said, I like the movie because it has some great kills in it. But it, the, the letdown for me was it's not Jason Takes Manhattan. It's Jason Rises Up Out of the Grave, you know. <laughs> Jason Comes Back. Yeah. That's what it should have been called. Jason Resurrected or something, you know, not Jason yeah. Takes Manhattan. Jason Rides a Boat and spends 10, spends 10 seconds in New York. Yeah, and it wasn't even That's... filmed in New York. It was filmed in Canada or some shit. <laughs> Vancouver. There's, yeah, it was, there was one, one little scene in New York. the entire New York shot. And that's the scene where he walks out of the subway and they pull the camera back. That's yes, awesome. and that's Times Square. That's <laughs> like, it. That's the whole New York scene and, and Jason takes Manhattan is one little scene where he kicks a p- bunch of punk rockers' radios and they turns around and shows him his face and they run in terror. And then it's Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, if you watch closely, you see mountains in the background. And trust yeah. me, I've been to New York. There's no mountains in New York, <laughs> in New York City. I always loved that about Rumble in the Bronx, too, films that were filmed in New York. Yeah, they were filmed yeah, in Rumble, yeah, You always Rumble see the, the mountains in the background. Yeah. Hey, New York, wow. I, I, love, the, I love that the skiing must be great in New York City, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and all the toxic waste hanging around in New York. Yeah, that was the other thing is that ending and um how did this go from uh Jason goes to hell to Jason takes Manhattan? <laughs> but um the, yeah, the ending with the sores flood every, what is it? Every midnight at midnight the sores flood with toxic waste. What is the local chemical plant flushing its toilets at the same time? <laughs> I think and oddly enough the, the toxic waste end. turns uh Jason Voorhees into a little boy. Yeah, one of the scripts for Jason, uh, Jason X Manhattan, the way it was going to end, it would have been beautiful, is it was going to have like a gigantic uh, alligator just come up and bite Jason in half. See, that's an ending I could have stood behind. Because <laughs> there was yeah, already the movie Alligator that was out. So. Yeah. <laughs> With the alligator coming out of the sewer and eating people. Yeah, that, I could see that. Because that was a big thing in New York, people flushing alligators down the toilet. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest uh, New York City urban legends, too, about the alligator. But, yeah, yeah, Jason goes to hell. It was screwed, one, because New Line really only got the Jason Voorhees name for one thing, and this was just supposed to be nothing but a placeholder setup film yeah. for... This was a bad time for the franchise because... Uh, well, you've seen Chris Blake Memories. The la- what was supposed to happen after Jason Goes to Hell was the last season, which was canceled, of Friday the 13th, the series. Yep. And it was supposed to be the last cursed item. And can you guess yeah. what it was going to be? His mask? Yeah, Jason's hockey Club. mask. Yeah, the whole season that was the last was cursed item. Yep. tracking down Jason killing him and getting the hockey mask. <laughs> yeah, they were supposed to get that hockey mask back, which which goes to show that mask, because that mask doesn't appear until part three. And yeah. that was, um, that was uh, what's the character's name? Shelly. Shelly yeah. had the hockey mask, and Jason killed him and took his hockey mask. So that means Shelly must have bought that cursed item and had it with him. 
So that 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 would make a good connecting story to the part three. And thanks everyone for listening on this Friday the thirteenth. And we'll possibly we'll do this again next Friday the thirteenth with what we've had left. And I'll have to check. I think the ones we have left after this one is uh, one, three. Uh, Jason versus Carrie. Uh, Jason X and Jay, uh, Freddy versus Jason and Jason the Pot Farmer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So thank you I for hope you invite me on to do one of them. <laughs> this is oh, I had a blast. I love doing these. And happy Friday the thirteenth, everybody. Happy Friday the thirteenth. Good night. Good night.